Hello and welcome back to the CFC Talk podcast. And I say this every episode now, and I think I'll continue to this, say this for the rest of the season. Uh, but, you know, not the best of games to be reviewing again. Chelsea uh, are having a... Tra- what a season we're having. But tonight joined with us uh, Kamal all the way uh, from Florida, if I'm not wrong. Uh, or uh, yeah. So, yeah, ha- happy to have you on, man. Great interacting with you on Twitter, I must say. So... Thank you for, for coming on firstly and, and giving us your time and, and being on the podcast. But how have you been and how how is everything going? No, I appreciate it, man. This is what, like my third, I want to say third or fourth time, one of the two. Yeah. And it's it's always fun. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on once again. Um, I think the last time we spoke was actually the Champions League win. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot's I changed. Think, I think Kamal, Kamal changed does... Br- you do bring in some, like, I think we spoke, the, the, time, the time before that was the Champions League final preview. And I said, mm. if if we win, you have to come on uh, on the sure. post game show that we did live, and you did come on. So maybe this is this is this is when Chelsea's luck changes. Uh, but uh, tonight, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but tonight another draw for Chelsea against Salzburg mm. in the Champions League match day two. Uh, Potter's first game. A lot of things have happened uh, since we've we've last uploaded. Uh, Tuchel uh, got sacked. We actually recorded the night before Tuchel got sacked because. I, I and I'm I'm usually someone who waits the next day for for comments and everything and and that one game I was like you know what nothing's really gonna happen it's gonna be the same <laughs> old story so I sat there 12 a.m. recorded a podcast and and I've got it edited ready uploaded just scheduled for 6 p.m. and I wake up and I still remember at 10 a.m. I wake up look at my phone scroll through Twitter for five minutes I'm like nothing's happened go back to bed. Woke up at 12.30 and I see a tweet, a notification from Chelsea saying statement on Thomas Tuchel. And I, my <laughs> mind goes to Twitter trying to suggest me a, a tweet. Someone's changed their name to Chelsea FC or something. And then, you know, those um, tweets that you sometimes get as notifications. So I just open it and I see the blue tick and I haven't got my glasses on. So I'm like, no, I'm not believing anything like this sort. Put on my glasses. I'm like, what has just happened? So, uh, Kamal, your quick thoughts on, on Tuchel and, and how you reacted to that sacking. So, unfortunately, just like Frank's sacking, I, I woke up to it. Yeah. It was because obviously I'm five hours back from, from the UK time. And so I woke up around, I want to say like 5.30, 6 a.m. because just my body clock is stupid and just woke up to a billion notifications. I was like, there's no way we've just done it again. <laughs> And, and yeah, I was kind of devastated in the moment. I was surprised, shocked, just like everyone else was. Maybe surprised isn't the right word because I was sort of, I don't want to say ready for it. I, do you know when you kind of like knew the inevitable yeah. was going to happen at some point? Yeah. And you were just like, all right, maybe this is too soon. Or, you know, all those emotions came through my head. And I was just like, why, why now? That's what I was going through my head. It was like, why now? Why not just him off when you took over the club what like why not why go through the effort of saying who do you want to sign go have him go through the effort of communicating to players and trying to build you know a squad that he wants quote unquote and then decide that you know what actually this isn't the way we want to work collaboratively so it was shock and but at the same time not really so it's kind of a strange, a strange emotion. I wasn't, I'm upset, but I'm not hurt. Like with Frank, I was devastated because obviously yeah. it's Frank. Yeah. But I, I, being a Chelsea fan, as long as I have now, it's like seeing so many managers come and go. So it's like, all right, 
here we go again. And and here we are. No, but realistically, did you not think, and, and I think this might, I, it's not just my opinion, but a lot of people's opinion where when Tuchel, when Frank came in, we thought this might be a long-term project. But when mm-hmm. Frank left and, and Tuchel came in, we again thought, right, this is another long-term project. This is not one of those um, oh. sackings that are going to happen. But you're right in saying that what was surprising was was the backing that Tuchel got throughout the <laughs> summer uh, and, and Tuchel waited until the first few games of the season. I mean, six games in a season is, is no grounds for sacking someone like Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea uh, or any manager unless you lose all six games horrifically. So for me, it was the same emotions of what's just happened. Are we even going to come back to top four? What's going to happen? What, why is this happening? And then the reports following after that, that, that this was something that was hap- been talked about for a while now. Uh, that Kukurea deal that happened during that, con- there was a conversation about Potter, as well as when Gilmore wanted to leave, uh, there was some, con- uh, Bolu tried to convince him to stay because he knew what was right. going to happen in, in the near future. But something that was been, that, that that seemed like it was planned for a while now, and I found it quite disrespectful coming, you know, Agreed. no disrespect to the owners for, for that decision, but realistically, to Tuchel, it was a bit disrespectful with the way they handled it. And, and if this was something that was going on for weeks, he should have known about this maybe even before the season started. Agreed. Yeah, that's, it definitely seems a bit, you know, sus, as they as they say on Twitter. It's, yeah. <laughs> it just came out, all the, the reports that came out, it was kind of, this has kind of been like in the works, behind the scenes for a while. Um, you know, exactly the things you just mentioned with, with the whole Cucurella deal and asking questions about, you know, Graham Potter and, and so on and so forth. Um, part of me does want to give him the benefit of the doubt and that him being, you know, Bolian and, and the and the group, because they're kind of just doing due diligence at the same time in the sense that they have just spent four billion pounds just investing in, in, in a team that they want, as well as that kind of like they want to, well, it's been evident anyway that they've cleared everything that says or Abramovich has touched in the sense that, you know, Marina's gone, Czech's gone. You know, I think it was, I forget the, the chief exec's name, Bruce Park, the other guy, you know, then Scott McLaughlin, like literally everyone that was involved in the previous regime has gone. And in American sports, I hate to use that, you know, similarity, but it's, it's typical when a GM comes in and they hire, quote unquote, their guy. I don't know if you follow American sports at all, but like when, you know, like that, like in the NFL terms, a GM will come in and he's kind of like the, the manager per se. And yeah. he hires his coach. They're kind of like in tandem. Yeah. So it, I was kind of expecting him either to stick with Tuchel for the long term or when he came in, just clean the slate. So the fact that this has gone on behind the scenes is, is strange and it is weird, but at the same time, hate to say it, but I don't think Tuchel is completely blameless because from from what we saw yesterday with that Salt interview, I'm not sure yeah. if you watched the whole thing. Yeah, I watched it. It seemed like he definitely wanted like a collaborative effort. And Tuchel's never been that kind of way. He's been like, I'm going to coach. I'm going to do me. Don't ask me for anything else. Yeah, so, I, I think... But I, there is, you're right in saying that, that you know, Tuchel has, has to take part of that blame. But for me, it's, it's what Tuchel said in press conferences when during the transfer window about the fact that he's had to 
look at signings. He's had to act as, as sporting director because Marina's not there. He's had to cover up mm. Czech's role as well. Uh, someone who's who's close with the goalkeepers and, and coaching them and the defensive side of things, as well as helping out in in um, in signings and, and scouting reports and all of that. Uh, but he's had to kind of take over those two key roles at Chelsea for the last three months and and had had almost no break. Um, didn't get that, you know, or, or as a coach, when as a coach, what you enjoy is is implying tactics in training, trying to do different things, trying to make players play in different positions, try out other things. Whereas he hasn't got oh. that time because of the fact that he's he's had to look at signings and oh, obviously agreed. those deadline day signings that we made with Zakaria last minute and a few more um, that we made because of injuries, obviously in the midfield and the options that we had with Alvarez as well. So realistically i would I, would you not say the board was more respons- more ir- irresponsible with how they handled the situation than tuchel and there's more blame to be put on on the board and and Bowley than tuchel here yeah it's difficult to say because you know they according to the board they they assessed the entire 100 days that they have been there yeah and according to reports depending depending upon who you believe right like the athletic or matt law whoever it may be um it seems like from what i read is that they kind of assessed Tuchel's 100-day, 100-game career too. So they says his first 50 games and the after 50 games either. And if we're being objective, his second half 50 games were not good. Let's just be real. Yeah. Um, you know, we we scrape. Now, when he when he first, you know, we scraped top four again. Um, you know, just just due to circumstance. And okay, we're two kicks away from two domestic cups, but at the same time, our home form has been horrendous since he has been part of Chelsea. And if I'm not mistaken, it's one of the worst in recent decades. And, you know, just in in the league, we haven't been great. But even that being said, I still think if you're going to back a manager to the extent that we, as a fan base, felt like he deserved to be backed, he should have been able to have full autonomy on who comes in, who comes out. You know, you look at Ziyech, for example, you know, it's clear he wasn't part of his plans. He flies to to Ajax at the end of the Leeds game comes back and he's playing the next game. So it's all these kind of like, what is going on? None of this makes any sense. Um, the board, for sure, I think they were kind of short-sighted in that sense because they've just got rid of easily, in my opinion, one of the top five coaches in the world right now. Yeah. But the way they see it is something completely different. They're clearly going for like a longer-term project in the sense of collaboration with youth, and okay, Tuchel gave Chalabar a chance and stuff like that, but it didn't really seem that there was a full like about using the academy and using stuff like that because he didn't give any teenagers any minutes, which is the first time that's happened in years. So, so stuff like that is difficult because I don't think Tuchel is completely blameless, but I do think overall that the board kind of should have given him the time because they came in saying that Tuchel's world-class, Tuchel's this, Tuchel's that. So it's definitely harsh because we always forget the human aspect of things. And Tuchel, you know, going through a divorce, losing half his family in that sense in terms of the split, then going into this and the sanctions and having the role he had to do with the club. And he handled it, you know, so well in terms of just all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it sucks because, like you said as well, he didn't have any time, yeah, no time at all to implement anything in preseason. Yeah. I stopped going to America, doing all those tours. 
stuff. Exactly. Exactly. So it's it's been it's been a tough few months for for Tuchel, and and I mean I'm I'm guessing he'll be, he'll want to jump back and and get into manager and into a managerial role as quickly as possible. There are reports of him maybe going to Bayern. Uh, there are a few other reports coming up, but you know let's let's see what he does. Uh, but with with Potter uh, coming in, there's been a lot of talk about obviously as you mentioned using the academy having a business model like uh, man city where you've got clubs uh around around europe and, and maybe in america the, the big one that came out tonight or yesterday night was was officially came out but today today it was confirmed that Boli has had a few meetings with with a club in portugal which is uh, an unnamed club at the moment and and they're planning out on on buying that club to try and you know fund in players and and more scouts and and Try and see what they can do. Come up with that. But uh, moving on to, I guess this this managerial debate that I guess Twitter has been having for the past week, and and everyone's As always. Uh, got their got their incredible opinions, as I should say, uh, or debatable opinions that they've got uh, on on things like these. Uh, the game tonight against Salzburg, not the most entertaining game, and we can't sit here and say anything to Graham Potter being his first game uh, at Chelsea and Chelsea playing after quite a while. Obviously, uh, the last game we played was. <laughs> Uh, back on back, I think sixth of October, so almost two two weeks, or close to uh, close to a week back now. Uh, but you know, Fulham being postponed, Liverpool being postponed, is this is this a good time for Chelsea to regroup and and learn from Salzburg and get into the get into the rhythm uh, of of start winning games? So, but before we get into all of that, your quick thoughts on today's game, and then we'll, we'll talk about the individual performances of Ziyech and Nasbolikweta and everyone in there. Yeah, sure. Um. So to start on Potter itself, I know you said you everyone had their opinions. Um, I just want to say real quick, like I think prior to Potter being hired, if you'd ask the fan base, okay, give me your top three managers of who you want. In my humble opinion, I would have said at least 50% would have said Graham Potter. Just based on the stuff he's done with Brighton and you, you know, the whole footballing world sphere that we live in all said that Potter deserves a six top six chance. And the second Chelsea hire him, it's like, oh, not that one though. So it's like, all right, the agenda against Chelsea begins. Um, but with with today in general, yeah, he he had this is a perfect opportunity to regroup because it's basically like a, a preseason 2.0. Um, some players will be going on international break, fine, but there's a lot of there's gonna be a ton of players still hanging about, specifically younger players. So he's gonna be able to implement tactics with them, get to know them better individually, one-on-one a lot of individual human aspects of things that he's kind of said that he wants to know and do, you know, he's, he's clearly very intelligent on, you know, the, what's his degree again? It was like emotional intelligence or something like that. Yeah. So it's, he's got, a, he's got a master's in, in, in that area. So he, he keeps saying how we all human and the main thing is relationships. So he's going to have a lot of time to get to know these people now, what went wrong, what they like, what they don't like. And on top of that work on the training pitch, because let's be real, Brighton were an incredible team, in my opinion, based on the resources they had, based on the style of football they played, they were great to watch. And against us specifically, they played us off the park a lot of times. Um, I know we, I don't recall losing to them, but I do remember, you know, those games were, were tough. They were never easy games. So this is a perfect opportunity for him to, to work on all those things we just mentioned. Yeah, no. I mean, he's got he's got the he's got the resources at Chelsea, and and with Bowley 
wanting to back a manager like Graham Potter for the next few years, uh, he'll have a lot less pressure than what previous Chelsea managers have had on their backs. I think uh, we've we've always known Chelsea to be a club where there's always so much pressure after every single loss because you don't know when your last game could be. And mm. with Potter, I think Bowley has made it very clear that he wants long-term. Even if we don't finish top four, it's fine. He wants to change the model around Chelsea and, and I guess... He's been he's been talking uh, not just about Chelsea but Premier League as well as European Euro, European football. You think that statement's true, in um, your in your opinion? But when it comes to finishing top four, say for example we finish seventh and win nothing, do you think he's going to be like okay, fine? I don't think so. Again. That's what I'm saying. So I find it very hard to believe that right that's going to be something that's going to happen. Like I I don't see Potter being any different from from Abramovich in terms of the ambitions. He has. He has. Mm -hmm. he, yes, he's a he's a bit more public about the business aspects of the ambitions. If you, I, I can't recall. Maybe back in the day, Roman used to do it when he newly got the club. But I don't recall Roman publicly or anyone from Chelsea publicly saying, "Well, these these are business deals that we're doing." But Bowley mm -hmm. is making it very clear that it's not just a project where he wants to win five trophies every year. It's it's for him. For mm -hmm. him, it's a it's an opportunity to make profit. As well, so uh, here's my here's me, my point to that. If I can interject, yeah. it's it seems this is just something I've just randomly thought of as we're talking. He's working with Clear Lake Capital, yeah, and they're an event, and they're the majority shareholders, correct? And they are investment funded in the sense that they need to see profit within a certain time frame. So what scares me, and it always has scared me since this takeover, although they've always been my pick from the beginning. That's more of an indictment against the, the other candidates like Ricketts and the other terrible options. Because I know totally the Bod's, ah, my body's had, <laughs> but I got, got mixed up there. I know he's had his extreme success yeah. with his other teams, you know, Lakers, Dodgers, et cetera. But what scares me is the whole Clear Lake thing because they're incredibly just like profit, money, profit, money. So they could be like, listen, we haven't finished top four. We haven't done this. He's got to go. And because they're majority shareholders, they get the final say. So what does scare me is that there's a... I'm, I'm just being pessimistic, but there's yeah. potential friction between, you know, um, Egbali and, and, and Todd down the line. Because well, I see Todd having one vision. And as long as it's aligned, then it's cool. But, you know, everyone has a boss. Everyone has, you know... Yeah stuff that they have to follow and if if Chelsea aren't successful aren't creating a big turnaround in terms of revenue then it, it could lead to some some things on the pitch I I completely agree I think we can't really the way I look at it is it's a bit too early to judge how this ownership is going to do and and I'd like to think if they say we'll back the manager uh, I'd, for now, I'd like to say yes. I, I agree with I, I I trust you with that. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I still have that sacking of Tuchel after six games, and I'm thinking Graham Potter might not be here 19 months from now, 18 months from now, um, even earlier if results don't go uh, the right way. Because you're right in saying you know Bowley being a or and and uh, clearly capital being being a group who want who are pretty much profit oriented if they don't see performances from Chelsea players 
and Chelsea finishing in the top four and getting Champions League because we've seen how much power that Champions League spot has with with Man United not being able to get the players they want. So Chelsea falling out of there and with the squad that we've got right now, I know we're going to dive into each of the players and, and the way they play today, but this squad, we there still isn't a core team in this squad. So um, until that's sorted, we can't afford to lose out of that Champions League spot because we can't afford to lose out on on the signings that big clubs might make just because we missed out and we're fifth or sixth uh, and they don't want to play another season in the Europa League or the Conference League or, or just domestic cups. Um, yes, for, it's it's all, it's all in the air kind of conversation for now, I think, in my opinion. It's it's more about just focusing on what's, what's this season, what's going to happen this season, and then seeing how Bowley reacts to it, what comes after, what comes next summer, and how, how Potter's backed. Uh, if it's another £300 million being thrown uh, at him, then then you know he's going to be gone within five games. Uh, that, that's that's, that's Bowley's way of saying, well, you're going to be out of the door soon. You can spend some of my money if you want. <laughs> um, but no, today against Salzburg, uh, a t- a d- I wouldn't say a deflated team, but not the best of Chelsea teams uh, that we've seen, you know. And... I don't know if I can, I don't want to go after Graham Potter for saying and say anything to him because he hasn't had a lot of time, uh, even though we we did, you know, that game against Fulham did get postponed and that opportunity for six days, but he's got a good break now before that next game and in the international break uh, to work with players. But starting lineup, your quick reaction on that, ask for the starting at centre-back and Bamiang up front and, and Havertz in behind him. <laughs> I can't, I think I've lost you on audio. Sorry, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry, yeah. So the, <laughs> the only the only qualm I had with the entire lineup was was Aspie selection. Um, purely because, you know, to start with the pregame notes, he said, oh, we went with experience and know-how in the Champions League. I'm like, fine, he's your captain. And I get it, but at the same time, Koulibaly has played a ton of games in the Champions League. And... Aspi is just not a centre-back. He's just not. And you know he's older. And I think Potter was kind of naive in picking him in the sense that he's my captain. You know, he's the, probably the most respected guy in the group. Let me just pick him for the sake of picking him as opposed to naturally wanting to pick him full-heartedly, if that makes sense. I felt like it was kind of a naive selection in that sense. Because when it came out that Fofana and Kulabali were on the bench, I was like, what is this? Yeah, I kind of freaked out because personally, I hate to say it because I love Dave, but I do think he is finished at this level. I hate to say that because my my fear coming into this whole thing was if if he has like a a rough patch of games, he's going to turn into a brand, like Branislav Ivanovic again, when one of the most adored players in our history is getting rinsed, and you know the fan base is just like hurting for him and that's how it seems with Aspie right now that this whole season so far he hasn't been good so giving him that two-year deal was just like then why would you do that because he's already come out and said not publicly but behind the scenes that he wants to go back to Spain to his family so not saying his heart's not in it because he's a professional he was obviously going to give his whole but he's just not at the level that we need besides that I think, excuse me, the rest of the lineup was fine. I think we could all expect it. It was kind of confusing as who was left wing back because it was like Mount for a time, 
maybe Sterling, it was all kind of jaded and kind of confusing. But, you know, at times the system looked, they were playing one way during the game in offensive transitions and then defensive transitions of different shapes. So that that's what I do like about Potter in the sense that he can constantly change. He, he's very adept to changing in the game situation. But lineup aside, like, you know, to answer your question, besides Asp, everything else, I was like, fair enough. Yeah, for me as well, that, that Aspilicueta came as a surprise because I didn't think the players needed any rest. I mean, it's been it's been a week since the last game. Uh, Fafana and Kulabali both should be fit enough to play this game. So that was a surprise to me. And, you know, Thiago Silva, obviously you have to start him. The man is uh, is incredible. Like we can't, you can't, he can't put a foot wrong at this club and, and the way he acts and those those Instagram stories from last night after Barcelona's loss uh, just had just had me gone at the end. <laughs> uh, you know, he's, you know, I think when, when Chelsea Twitter, when I see a tweet on, on Twitter saying, whenever I see a tweet saying, you know, the only mistake we've done with Thiago Silva is not signing him early. And I right. go imagine, imagine if we had him a few years ago uh, at oh, no. Chelsea, what he would have done. Uh, with, yeah. So I think honestly, we don't just apart from Aspilicueta, but you're right in saying the formations were, were a bit really confusing. Whether when the lineups came out and I said, oh, don't tell me Mounts on the wing back or don't tell me someone else is on the wing back because I'm not about to see Havertz or someone get into wing back or something. Because no. definitely you know, how it seemed. Yeah, and and with the way Chelsea and and it's it's funny because the way Chelsea write their lineup is is how I try to read it, and sometimes they, I, I feel like they know fans are reading it that way, so they switch it around just yeah. to mess with you, as well. So, uh, but it ended up being I think Sterling was was playing out, out wide with James, and then right. Kukurea was you know sitting in um, deep with a three at the back kind of situation with, with what, what he said uh, during uh, the post match game as well. But you know, Havertz. I mean, that's that's going to be a conversation to talk. Uh, that, that's gonna that's gonna probably go on forever and ever. Uh, you know, we we know he was, I guess, Tuchel's favorite starter. Uh, he's he's been a regular starter under Tuchel. Uh, but under Graham, uh, it's going to be a new start for everyone, and everyone's going to try and make their space in this for playing eleven. You know, Broya coming on had more impact than Havertz. I think we need to maybe it's give the it same situation too. all since all season. It's been the same. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's yeah. just it's it's annoying because, like you said, uh, a kid comes off off the bench every game this year and has an an impact greater than Havertz has within a couple of seconds, and you can see the intent, you can see how much it I don't want to say means, but you can see how much the hunger, you know, that's there. I mean, Kai Havertz's body language doesn't show enthusiasm; it doesn't show that. You know, I'm never going to question anyone's effort because that's something you can't quantify. But yeah. it's it's just it's a different feel, it's a different aura when Havertz isn't playing. And you know, we saw it last time he got benched and then came off off the bench and then scored. That's he he definitely needs to sit. And I don't get it because you know it was considered this this phenom, this 72 million brilliant player and okay he has his name etched in our history forever and we're forever thankful for that moment but you can't live off one moment (laughs) and still be 21 22 years old i think it's 22 correct if i'm not mistaken uh yeah yeah you know he's 23 okay so it's still still young i mean in football terms that's nothing right but yeah it's like what have you done where do you what is your position i don't think if i asked you what is kai Havertz's position do you know is he an eight is he a ten is he a winger is he a striker no false nine and what 
I don't get it because he doesn't do any key passes. He doesn't link up play very well. He doesn't dribble past players. He doesn't score goals. It's like so confusing. But you can see the talent is there in his stature and his physique. It's just like, what? I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, he's such a confusing man. No, no you're right. Because with Havertz, it's, we've, we've tried him at, in behind the striker. We've tried him as a striker. We've tried him as a winger. And it just doesn't seem to have clicked the way that they, you know, it was clicking back in back in Germany for him uh, at his previous club. And it, we haven't been able to unlock the Havers' potential. And and that, you know, it's not just about him scoring goals at Chelsea. His role is much broader than than just scoring a goal at each game or or having an assist. It's more about creating those chances, opening those spaces up, trying to get other players involved, and and trying to understand how the game's going. So. Under Tuchel, you know, the first six games, quite disappointing. And with even today with Broya coming on and that few counter-attacking chances that we had, you know, the one that Ziyech was saved right towards the end of the game, that one as well. And I looked at my screen and I was going, well, why are we, this is not even a question now. Under two managers, we've seen Havertz not perform well. Three. At three now. It's Frank yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Frank, Frank for half season. So, yeah. yeah. So under three managers and yet we're still hesitant to try out Broya, uh, someone who Boley really wanted at the club. So I'm, I'm hoping, you know, that partnership of, of Potter, Broly and, and Broya might uh, get him to start a few times more, but something I want to know your opinion on. I've been, I've been saying this and I said this a few podcasts ago. I think we were playing with two strikers. I think it was Broya and Havertz back then when we were playing a few games back when we were playing right at the end of the game. But I want to see Aubameyang and Broya maybe to get to play together up front, two up front maybe. Sterling, you know, cut in behind maybe a different position for Sterling. Even though Sterling tonight was was one of the out, uh, one of the good performers along with Rhys James, and yep. and Mount obviously played uh, not the best of his games. And we know what Mount can do. Mount can be Mount, but you know that assist and and he was he was better than what he was he's been performing like in the past right. few games. Yeah, I mean. Broya, the, I, I like to see it too. Um, they're just diff, they're different profiles to each other. So I definitely like to see it because I know uh, he may not have the same electric pace that he once had, but he's still a quick player. And that's that's me speaking about Aubameyang. So he's kind of always been that player that's like drifted out wide and kind of come in that kind of like Thierry Henry type elk player where it's more on like the left wing channel. So I could definitely see it where he's like played off the left, Broya's in the middle and Sterling on the right. Sterling has played a ton of the on the right for Man City, so that could definitely be something that could be interesting to see, and I'd like to see it too because let's be real, the players behind them, they're just not up to scratch. And I know you're going to come to it, so I don't want to speak on it too much. But Pulisic and Ziyech, just no, no for me. So, <laughs> so it's Put literally who else do you have? <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I don't know. See, I think Pulisic. I'm gonna I'm gonna come to this when you get to yeah. it. Yeah. Pulisic is a good player. It's his stands that I can't stand. And as a yeah. result, I want Pulisic out. <laughs> so, but as yeah, guys, that's a completely different story. Um, but yeah. No, after tonight's performance, I'm sorry to interject, but like after today's performance, I'm, I'm, I'm just, just get Ziyech out. It's unreal though, because How? I'm not sure if I was on your podcast at the time, but when we first, I think I actually was. Yeah. It was when we first signed him. I was like, yeah, this is the guy. That I, want I think to, everyone thought that. that, you know, 28-year-old yeah. in his prime, Champions League, exactly. the way he switches the play from left to right and he just mm-hmm. paces that he's got. He was going to be the next, you know, the, the William upgrade. And now right. fans are begging for William to come back. 
Yeah. It's funny because like remember when William went to AC to Arsenal yeah. and he said that oh William's a better player and we all laughed. Yeah. At the time, looking back, he was bang on because it was like William prior to his season leaving, when he, his last season for us was phenomenal, like stats wise, performance wise, output wise, big moments against Tottenham and such. But uh, Ziyech, I don't know what what it is. I'm not sure if it's just he's just had enough of playing wing back at times, not playing as an actual winger at times, if he's just generally fed up. Because there has been moments where Ziyech has looked incredible. But those moments are once every every 10 games. And injuries acclimatizing to this culture, I'm not sure. But yeah, the last two games in general, <laughs> I think I think it was like the last game against Zagreb, I think I put it out that it was almost, if not as bad as the Bakayoko Watford performance. It was yeah. one of the worst performances I've ever seen in terms of right. the cockiness of two free yeah. kicks. I've got this, I've got this. Akaway Reese James and he bangs it straight into the wall. And the throw in got me the most. I, I lost my shirt when, excuse my language, but with the throw in, when he caught the ball when the ball was still in play. Oh, I was just like, no, I've had enough. But today, again, just not good. Just not good. He doesn't seem like he's got the attitude of a player who wants to play at Chelsea. It's as simple as that. And I think I think it's obvious. Yeah, everyone realized that at the club, and that's why they were so rushed out in trying to get him a deal. But they've realized, well, he's had a fallout with the Moroccan team manager a few a, few, a year back, I think, two years back. Right. And then now he's having a fallout at Chelsea. Not not a very public fallout or not an extreme fallout, but as in you can clearly see he doesn't want to be part of that team. What teams are looking at is is well, this guy's just going to come in, destroy my dressing room, and and I'm going to be the cause of of all of this because I'll I'll back I'll back this signing. So realistically, not exactly sure who wants to actually pick up Ziyech, but anyone, just anyone, just offer anything. I think, I think, I think Ajax and Milan, respectively, probably both would have. But if I recall correctly, they both wanted him on loan. And we were just like, no, nah, got to take him permanently. We're not doing that, especially at his it, age. I understand why we didn't. It was <laughs> also because I think, I think they didn't want the loan with an obligation to buy and Chelsea were going to put in a clause where a certain amount of like performances, then you you buy it, buy it, but right, right, right. they didn't want that. So, um, quite quite clear how, how what what his stance is at Chelsea and and how his future is going to pan out at Chelsea. But uh, you know, talking about a few few of the things Graham Potter, I'm just trying to uh, go through what Graham Potter exactly said towards the end, and and something that I don't generally agree with, and I've been saying this for for a while now on the podcast in terms of the character in the team and and um how the team reacts to, I guess, being, be, having a draw or, or, or losing the game. But uh, I can't, I'm just trying to pull up the exact words that Graham Potter, Potter used, uh, which, which was... as you're As you're pulling that up, it's, it's clear, right, that based on our style of play, it's always been about control, 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 don't risk anything, get the goal, and then we kind of just stop. That is, it's been such an annoyance of mine recently. It's like we once we score, it's like okay, stop. We stop playing. We stop any enthusiasm. We stop any desire to continue and to end the game. And the second that changes is when the opposition scores. Like you saw today, as soon as they scored, attacking subs, spam balls in the box. It's like where was this prior? Like why isn't there any urgency or desire prior to them scoring? 
Like, just go for the kill. Like, I'm sick of this pragmatic football where it's just, you know, just wait for a reaction. It's, there's no, it's, it's more, we're, we're more of a reactive team than, you know, whatever the word opposite is. Sorry, I'm tired, but, you know, just dominating. Dominating. Yeah. You, like, you, see, you see Pep's football and even, I know Klopp's struggling at the moment, but in, historically it's like, okay, we score one. Okay, we're going to go for two and three and four. And they're going to keep going, keep going, keep going until you're worn out. Even Pochettino Spurs did it. But we have always been this pragmatic, wait, wait, wait. If they score, okay, we'll attack again. It's It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it's like but, embedded yeah. in the culture. Exactly. And and this is this is the exact comment. Uh, this is what the comment Graham Potter made. And he said, I thought the application and the attitude of players were fantastic against a good opponent and opponent that, that make it difficult for you. And I, and I disagree with that. I think Chelsea's got a lot more than, than just just a game like this and if we continue to play like this we don't necessarily deserve top four we don't necessarily deserve anything and it's what concerns me is throughout Tuchel's first six games we were no one was was going after Tuchel and and that's something that I liked you know during that time where everyone realized this is not a Tuchel issue this is a player issue and this Mm. is what I'm scared about and we talked about we talked a lot about Bowley Grip Potter being a long-term project and so on and so forth but I'm thinking well if the players turned on Thomas Tuchel Who've, who's literally gotten them the biggest prize in European football? Uh, oh. Who are they to not? Ter- who are they to turn turn on Graham Potter? Come five months from now, if the results are not coming in, if the manager's under scrutiny, uh, the players are just going to switch around and say, "Well, the managers, it's the manager's fault. It's not our fault." Whereas I didn't see an attitude change today. I didn't see this Chelsea team or anyone in this Chelsea team, apart from um, you know a, a few Reese James and, and um, Sterling you know bring the team up bring the crowd up and say now nah, we're not mm. going back we're not going off this pitch until we get that second goal we're not going off this pitch and and you're right in saying that Chelsea do have a style of play where we score one and now we're just going to play the game out kind of situation where this that shouldn't be the case we should be right. finishing the games off as early as possible two to three goals in the first or 60th minute 70th minute the game's finished we shouldn't be leaving it to the last 10 minutes for Chelsea to score a goal how many goals have we scored towards the end of the goal end of the game this this season there's the majority a lot of goals that are we, that we score are towards the 85th to the 90 minutes, which is dangerous for Chelsea because realistically, 100%. and we, it, it was it was, frust- very frustrating to see the fact that obviously they had that back four and then and then four in midfield, so it was, it was quite a, and they were sitting in deep into their box. But a team like Chelsea with the talent they've got, we should be able to break that. And the character that Chelsea needs to show is is aggressiveness. We can't just be those guys who come in get get across across get across in oh miss the header let's go back defend. You need to right. press. You need to constantly be intense, and you need to you need to use every ounce of energy that you've got for this this game. Not thinking about whether there's another game in three games where you need to preserve your energy and play again. Sure. And to, to add on to that, I just don't think. I know. I know you said we have the squad. I I don't think we have all the personnel needed to play the type of football that we as fans want. Because I look at, okay, okay, ninety percent of the teams that we face are going to be double block low. You know, just sitting back and waiting to counter. Who do we have that can unlock a pass? I'm trying to think. Like Mason here and there, perhaps. Zerk, you thought could, but obviously he can't anymore. Pulisic is a head down dribbler. Sterling's a head down dribbler. Reese James, but he's a right back. And it's just like, okay, who can Jorginho perhaps like once a while if he doesn't get bodied off the ball first? Like it's who in this team can create 
out of nothing. Who is that Cesc Fabregas? Who is that that Lampard? And I've, I've, so many people say Lampard wasn't creative, but he had like over a hundred assists. And yeah. Yes, he was. Like, don't even give me that. Um, but we don't have a creative player, and I do think that's something that's missing. Um, but at the same time, yeah, the system something has to change between mentality and the way we play because it's definitely like we stop everyone kind of looks up and there's like a minimal you know movement it's not fluid um to go back to your thing like what your quote about potter and how you didn't agree i do think he kind of has to say that you can't come out first say yeah first, well, like first game and be like they, they were terrible like yeah. this is the mentality issue everyone's just gonna be like whoa um but yeah it's something has to change and i do think he's going to get the time to do so, hopefully, to kind of lead out the players he doesn't want and bring in the players he does want. Yeah. That's, that's kind of, maybe that's wishful thinking, but there's, there's a lot of change that has to go on. No, but coming back to the Jorginho point you made, I think Jorginho is very effective. I know, I know a lot of fans might come from, come to here for this, but Jorginho, I've seen Jorginho yeah. be cool. most effective when... <laughs> <laughs> I've got to, got to watch so, out. So, so watch your words. <laughs> yeah, I've got to watch out. Uh, but no, I think I think I've seen Jorginho be most effective when Kante is on the field. When Jorginho doesn't have to worry about that responsibility of tracking back in defensive areas and make that final final tackle that, that he has to, which he's he does struggle he's, to make to because of his pace. And even when he's there, he hesitates sometimes because he's scared of that red card. Did you see it today? Sending off. Yeah, Did you see even it today. today it, exactly. It was. He sp- he stops for like a split one so, second. Yeah, so that's Ball what I'm saying. It's, it's, and then it's he the tries to run time. back. It's the reaction yeah, time and so... then the pace. So, so it's like it's like he works well when there's Kante there who can cover up for his mistakes or someone who can sit back. And then he's free to do what he wants. It's the, that way of his the, that that weight that he has of of having to track back and knowing that he's if he loses the ball out, he needs to track back and get into the defensive position. When he's when that's off his mind, we see a, a Jorginho that that's you know great on the pitch yes against Tottenham that error before leading to that goal but realistically looking at the whole performance you would say that was a great game for for Jorginho and why was that a great game because Kante was there every time Kante is not on the pitch Jorginho mm-hmm. does struggle I've seen that happen so um it goes back to what I said like the squad yeah. isn't complete right so it's yeah. But then there's also conversations. but then there's also conversations about Kante rejecting a contract because he wants a three-year contract and and I think if it and I go look he's a Chelsea legend but do I want to no, give no. someone a three a three year contract who's who's only going to play about 50% of our games and and it's not going to yeah, be? I'm going to do it, especially high wage. He's uh, he's like the second highest player player yeah. in the squad if I'm not mistaken. So three more years on top of his age and it's already breaking down. Uh, there's no way. There's no way I could do it. But it's thankfully it's not my decision. But no way I could do it. Yeah, like I wouldn't I wouldn't be happy with if Kante got got. Three year, one year maybe I'll be fine with it until we bring in Declan Rice, maybe get him, get him another year since oh, Billy Gilmore's gone. I mean, I, I think of it and I go, how have we let go of Billy Gilmore for nine million? We're target, we're, we've been, we've been trying to get West Ham to give us uh, Declan Rice, and then uh, you've got someone like Kante who's injury prone, and and without Kante being in that, w- this squad has not has, has what won one game without Kante. With, without Kante being in the starting lineup, we've won one game out of what five? Yeah, sounds sounds right. And out of the first two that we played, we won one, we drew one against Everton, and then drew against Tottenham. It's the West Ham game, right? It's the West Ham game they didn't play that we actually didn't deserve to win. 
that I, I think that's the only game that we've won so yeah, far. That's the one you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and maybe the, the lesser one as well uh, that we won. But we saw that performance over there right at the end. If if those two goals mm-hmm. didn't go in, realistically, that wasn't the but one of the best performances. But it's clear to Chelsea that, that we're missing, as as we mentioned right at the start of the podcast. There there is there is a core team that's missing. There aren't. You know, when, when you look at a team sheet, you go, these five players have to be on the team sheet. There isn't that at Chelsea right now, obviously, except Reese James, Sterling. Uh, and, and, as, and, and as far as the goalkeeping position goes, we're back in this debate of Kepa and, and Mendy again, uh, both both equally trying to uh, do as bad as the other That's one. Tough. And tonight, I think, look, honestly, I looked at the save on the, on the replay and I was like, did, did Kepa just dive because he was like, I don't want to look that bad. On, on on camera because it was such a delayed reaction and I, was like, I don't think I've got a man I've got as bad of a reaction as, as Kepler. I, I saw like someone break it down I can't find it but I saw someone break it down and kind of analyze the save how he should have been further back he should have saved it with his foot because it was right there yeah and it's been a constant theme with Kepa right he always does the thing that goalkeepers are told not to do but he does because it's just in his nature yeah, I feel bad because like I feel I feel like he deserves a new lease of life somewhere else. And you know, I just I want him to be happy because I'm sure he's a nice guy. And you know, he his article on the player tribune was really touching. And yeah, he's he's a great human, but player-wise at this level, he's just not he's just not not it. And when you touch on Mendy too, it's like what happened? Like his distribution has always been suspect, but he always had the saves and the errors weren't as prone, but I think maybe he's just been found out like completely. Like obviously these, these we're playing at the highest, highest level yeah. in world yeah. football. So scouts are just like press him onto his left foot and then he'll try to put it onto his right and then he can't. And so you're going to win the ball just like what happened at Leeds. Yeah. And so Benzema did it too. It's just, yeah, he's, he's got to get it out of his head. That's one thing I don't like about possession football. It's okay, goalkeeper, give him the touches, give it to someone else. I'm I'm so old school in that sense, just knock it forward like Petrachek, just boot it forward. Yeah. Just get it out of your area, man. Just I mean Man no City do it and it's very successful with with Edison uh, is Edison one of the best at distribution. Just, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. He doesn't mess about yeah. on the ball, just boot it, man. It's just there's no need to like be cute with it. I I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like as in whenever I see the ball in def- in, in defense or in the back four, with the back four or I freak out. Um, with with yeah exactly and I'm like well if you're getting pressed the last thing I want is the ball going even further back closer to the goal where exactly. there's an error possible exactly that. especially knowing Chelsea's history and, and goalkeeping history <laughs> the first thing I, I'm fine with Chelsea losing out on the ball and regaining possession after a throw in uh, comes 100%. in obviously don't don't give in a corner try and get a throw in but when that throw in happens try and re- re- regain the ball right. give the opportunity for players to track back rather than trying to find another yes. pass in that. So it, it, it those errors can't happen. I mean, 11 goals in the last seven games. We haven't kept a clean sheet in the last seven games in a row. The only clean sheet was it was Everton in that first game. So uh, regardless of whether you're winning games or losing games or scoring 10 goals until you stop that goal. I mean, we talked about it with Tuchel. The first 50 games, how we conceded only 12 goals or, or 10 goals compared crazy, to the last 50 where it was 53 or something. So you can clearly see the difference. And it's like, we could score two, but if you're conceding to every game, it's still it's still just a draw. Mm-hmm. So uh, defensively, we really need to strengthen up. And today, Aspilicueta playing was just out of order, uh, in my opinion. You know, uh, we've got we've got Fofana, you've got Kolobali. 
Chalaba uh, can can play in that position as well. Yes. What I happened mean, to Trav? Yeah, well, yeah, statistically, so... he hasn't lost a game in his entire Chelsea career. <laughs> and exactly. Twitter people exactly. would be like, "Oh, he's rubbish." Yeah. Okay, yeah. he might be rubbish, but he's never lost. So play exactly. him every game until he loses. Exactly. And and if we if we had to play Kukurea as a centre back, I mean, or, or three at the back position, we might as well had you know Chilwell start Kukurea play as a back three. If we if Asby's not a natural centre back, so might as well given a given Kukurea a chance at that left centre back. He's he's not a natural centre back, but he can play in that position. Has done for Brighton for a few for a few games. Exactly. So, and and he's got much he's he's got much faster pace than than Asby. And obviously he's a club legend. I'm not going to try and put on any hate on Asby, but it's no, no. it's it's not time to he's go. Being but realistic. In, he's a good replacement for Reece James because we don't have a backup right right back because we didn't go for Klaus as as even I don't think he is though. When that was my biggest fear, when we signed Cucurella, I was like, okay, now we need someone on the right. Yeah. And I know we all linked with what's his name from that French Jonathan, French Jonathan Klaus. Klaus, yeah. So Jonathan I was just Klaus. like, this is a perfect thing because it's like 10 million. He's statistically one of the best in Europe at his age. And it was just like, it made so much sense. And I know we let Callum go, but Callum's not a right wing back. But it was just like, can't have Asby play as a right back or a centre back or a right wing, but he's just not. I don't know if the coaches see something different to me, but to my eye, he's just lost so much pace yeah. and physical stature. Like the jumping, everything is just. Oh, he's just not there. He's just not there anymore. Painful to yeah. see. It. Obviously, it's not us trying to um, disrespect him. And what he's what he's done at Chelsea, it's just that the age factor has kicked in, and and not everyone is Thiago Silva who, exactly. who keeps getting better by with age. Uh, and and we say that with Jorginho as well. The lack of pace, it's it's clearly evident. And what you want from your defenders is is that burst of pace that 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 mm-hmm. Rudiger, I guess, had uh, a few years back yeah. when he was when he was at the club last year. And that burst of pace to make that final tackle, maybe when that counter-attack is happening, that final tackle could be the change. You, you know, you take that yellow card for all I care. Uh, you know, just, yes. just don't concede the Tactical goal. Um, unless, obviously, you're 2-3-0 down and, and the last thing you want is a red card. But, you know, that those technical fouls need to be made by Chelsea. And as you said, Jorginho being hesitant, Asby not having that pace. Silva, you don't expect him to track back at 38. You, you're left with no options uh, to try and track back, and and that's how you can see the goals. So, a lot to improve. A question for you: yeah. um, Do you think that Potter was naive in his subs? Um, I had a discussion with some friends, and I was like, in my opinion, yes, because you go one nil up, you automatically know Salzburg's going to attack. You've got no defensive presence in midfield. Zachary is on the bench, but you bring on Loftus Cheek. And Gallagher. I mean, and Gallagher after the fact. It's just like what? Yeah, I was. I, was I know he hasn't really acclimatized, but with Zachary, he's your only getting, defensive getting, guy. Getting minutes, yeah. Like, it made no sense to me. He's someone who's who's played as a natural six, uh, Zachary. Right? So, so exactly. he's someone that I was expecting to come on, and especially I, I think when they came, the, the subs were made. Um, the subs were made right before the goal goal was scored. If I'm not wrong, yeah. Obviously, yeah. Havertz went off. Yeah, and then they scored. Yeah, Broya was was a great sub. I'll, I'll give him credit for that. Broya was a great sub. Okay. That, that should have been that should have probably happened a, a, a few minutes earlier as well. But Loftus Cheek and Gallagher coming on was just you know didn't understand that. And Silva being the only natural centre back 
<laughs> at a time. And and it, it was one of those where it was a desperation to win in the final 10, 15 minutes where just put every attacking player you've got on the bench that on and, and use like that five substitutions. It's, uh, yeah, but no, but then we, we conceded. And then I think after that, we uh, subbed on... I can't remember exactly. Did we sub on the Pulisic way, if, if I recall after. the timeline of events, it was you take off Kovacic and Kai in a double sub. Yeah. And then Breuer and Ruben off the sheet came on. And then we immediately, well, immediately they scored, if I'm not mistaken. So in so, my thinking, it's, it's okay, you're one nil up. You haven't got a natural center by, besides one. Yeah. You haven't got any defensive presence in midfield. And you already know the opposition is going to like overload and throw everything forward. So wouldn't yeah. you have one player who's kind of like defensively minded in, in midfield? Yeah, I would have. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like Zakaria would have been a no brainer there. And you, you would have brought on Zakaria and every, irrespective of how much time he's added training, because someone who plays as a natural number six is knows what he's doing. I think he knows what right. he's doing. Yes, he might not fit the formation or the style of play, or he might make a few errors, but he knows he can track. If if he's someone who can track back, get that defensive uh, a block, and and help out the defense, get him on. That, that that was a no brainer. You're absolutely right in that. And the 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 thing I didn't understand is after conceding the goal is when we brought on uh, Ziyech, Gallagher, Pulisic, Pulisic and yeah. I think yeah, Lossashik was before that. So those three substitutions after that goal went in and that, and that was the final cry from Chelsea where right we want to take a win regardless and and now you're left with a with just Thiago Silva on the pitch as a natural center back and you've got Reese James and Kukurea doing uh defensive duties whereas Reese James is probably the only person who can create a chance for you uh in that, in yeah, that it's ridiculous know. how that's true so, right so yeah i mean it, it yeah I, I guess i guess it's too early to judge potter and what he's trying to do course, with his team and we saw that glimpse of Brighton changing, like the the change in formation throughout the game, uh, change of style of play. So that's something that's going to be very interesting to to see uh, how Graham manages players and how he manages positions of those players throughout those. Uh, but right before we end it on a light, let's end it on a light note. Obviously, a lot of conversation about Chelsea, but Graham Potter, not Graham Potter, uh, Todd Bowley uh, saying that in the interview yesterday about a North versus South game and oh, a lot gosh. of chatter around that. So oh, uh, let's have a quick conversation about how do you feel as an American yeah. watching? I don't, oh, I, I'm, I'm sure you watch a lot. Don't call me American. Don't call <laughs> me American. I live here. As a, I live here. Uh, I've got as an American show. sports watcher or uh, I'm guessing you watch the NBA uh, yeah, watch all, game. The, so, watch so all. all that, you know, uh, and, and I will say as much as I love American sports, there's a lot of breaks in them. And I look at basketball and I'm watching it. I'm going every five seconds, there's a timeout every yeah, 20 minutes, yeah, like yeah. 20 minutes, there's a, there's a quarter going on. So a lot of those uh, I've noticed American sports is not just a sports thing it's a, it's a whole it's a event, event. That that's yeah it's a social exactly. event that's been put on there's concerts there's exactly. everything there's so much going on that your your eyes yep. are just constantly it's looking pure for pure entertainment in full form and it, yeah and it's it's not just about the 90 minutes of football or the or the 45 48 minutes of, of basketball that's happening on the court um what are your your thoughts on on that north versus south i mean imagine yeah. liverpool i can't i can't imagine no. liverpool and united players so, so the traditionalist in me yeah. just knows that this is never going to happen. Yeah. It's just the, the the people that are involved in British football are just going to be like, no, this is stupid. I mean, not adding more games. We're not adding risk to our players. There's already preseason tours. Every international break, you know, every other preseason, there's 
there's World Cup, all Euros, there's something. There's just too much football. And the players are going to be like, no. Because, yeah, you know, to, to go back to, to what I, I watched, yeah, I watched the NBA and the NFL, and there is that exact same thing. In the NFL, there's called the Pro Bowl and the NBA All-Star Game. And the lack of effort from these players, it's, it's outstanding. It's like they don't care. They don't want to be there. They get paid to be there, don't get me wrong. Yeah. part of their contracts where it's like oh if you make the all-star team you get this bonus and so on and so forth so they try to get voted in but when it comes to the actual game they don't care so i can't imagine how it would be in a football sense which is like passing the ball about not really giving it down like someone intercepts it and runs you're not going to see them fully track back and care um from a logistic standpoint in terms of revenue i i get it okay yeah. i understand completely like Maybe British fans won't care, but international fans probably would. Um, it's just the reality of it. Like, okay, especially if you do it like, all right, North v. South, and it's a game in Japan. That place is going to sell out. You know it is. It's going to be broadcast on ESPN. It's going to be broadcast on Sky Sports. It's going to be broadcast on whatever thing. So the revenue is going to be there. So from a revenue standpoint, it makes so much sense. But the, the counter to that, it's just, yeah. it's just never going to happen. Like, it's fun to think about, you know, the North would absolutely destroy the South. Let's just be real. So Man City, <laughs> Liverpool, Man United. Exactly. The, the South would get destroyed. But in my opinion, it should be London because it's literally just London. And the yeah. other South teams are like Southampton. Like, who's coming yeah. from Southampton? So yeah. <laughs> it's cool to think about in the fun sense. But traditionalist, it's just, it's just no way it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even if it does come in, I think of it and I go, well, the only thing that's going to probably, it's probably the, on, the only thing that's going to uh, be replaced is, is probably the charity community, community shield. But even that know. won't, because that's like yeah, a historical I, thing. Exactly. So I, I think Americans, uh, I, might, I might be wrong on this, but I don't see Americans as someone who care about history as much as the Britishers do in terms of oh, Britishers yeah. would love to, would continue the same tournament for the, for years and years to come whereas um uh, americans would would change anything and everything you know they'd, they'd turn it all around um because the, the way they american sports here like you like you said it's it's 100 full-blown capitalism and it's fighters that's just me being honest because there's yeah. like you said there's commercial break every five minutes so for that five minutes the amount of money that comes in from you know commercial advertising and then during the halftime, they get entertainment, there's music, there's this, there's that. There's so much money pumped into one single game. And it's just insane. Like the, the like you said, it's basketball's only four quarters of 12 minutes, but it goes on for three hours. So it's like the amount of money that one game generates, and you add in all the games that all the teams play, and then playoffs, not even involved in that. So it amplifies during the playoffs. And so like Bowley said, he wants like a playoff for relegation. And everyone was just like, well, what is this? No, they forget. In the 80s, that was a thing. I don't know if you recall, in history, Chelsea, the only team, the only top team that got relegated from a playoff system. So it was a thing in British football. And it still exists in Bundesliga. But it's just like, where do you draw the line? Because you have it for promotion. It makes sense for relegation because it's it'll be more fun, it'll be entertaining, but it's kind of like breaking tradition again because you're like, oh, we used the points, but now you're like, oh, 
you know, I could finish fourth but not be safe. So it's sorry, like fourth and bottom. Yeah. No. I don't, I'm not exactly sure, so sure about the relegation. Yes, maybe it might generate more revenue. Yeah, maybe it might generate it more was. viewership. Yeah, you're, you're right in that. But in terms of maybe down the line, 20 years down the line, if there's a there's a possibility of maybe, you know, that being for the top four where top six teams play against each other in a knockout tournament to de- declare the Premier League champions in the top four, that would just be horrific. I mean, honestly, the fun, you know, I don't think anyone can experience what it feels like uh, you know, we've not had. I guess Chelsea have been lucky where they, we've we've kind of finished all of our title challenges quite early in the season. But going into that final day, not knowing which team will be crowned champions, and especially when the two teams aren't playing against each other, uh, is is just a different feeling where you're following all ten games in a row because you don't know who's getting relegated. The next minute, you know, Liverpool becoming champions, and suddenly, whoa, City's scored three. And now they're the, they're going to be the champions, and now there's a relegation. That is what makes Premier League uh, so competitive and so different from from I guess just having a knockout one off get one off tournament where Man City could be incredible throughout the season, but lose against Liverpool in that one game, and and they're out on penalties, and and suddenly they've lost the title because of one kick. I think Kamal, you're muted again. Sorry, excuse me. No, um, I don't know if you follow the MLS at all. But I've, I've, I know the format, but yeah, not. It's so team. bad, and I've, I've yeah. tried with all my heart. I've had yeah. season tickets since I moved to Orlando, okay, and I've tried to give as much as I can in terms of supporting my local team, blah blah blah. But it's just like, why do I care? Because, like you said, it's the league format doesn't mean anything. Like the the fans who I know who are diehard and go to games every week, they're like, oh, if we don't lose, it doesn't matter as long as we're in the playoff spot. It's just like, well, excuse me. <laughs> it's like I don't care if we're second or first. If even yeah. if we're sixth, it doesn't matter because we can go on a run and win the MLS Cup because that's all that matters in American sports. It's playoffs. That's all they know. It's not if you finish first throughout the regular season, it doesn't mean jack. It doesn't mean nothing. So as, you could be sixth and go on an amazing run and win that cup at the end of the year. And that's what matters. It's just such a complete contrast to European sport. So it's a concept. I understand what Bodhi's thinking in terms of revenue streaming. Yeah, it would make sense from revenue, but implementing it, he's he's gonna have a real tough time. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone's gonna make it easier for him to try and implement oh, these American not. strategies because realistically, uh, you know, we've got America. Quite a few American owners now, Arsenal, um, Man United being the two biggest ones. Uh, and then, you know, a lot. Yeah. And then Liverpool as well. So realistically, if they've not been able to do something like this, what you know, Bowley isn't going to have an easier time. And, and you know, I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to be coming coming soon, anytime soon to Premier League and European the football. The thing I'll give Bowley credit for is that his, his communication, he yeah. is not afraid to say, like, this is what I think is a good idea. Like you never heard Stan Kroenke or or Glazer come out and say this is what I think is a great idea because they know they'll get slated. But Bully don't give a shit. Like he, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he is self aware to know that it's not like you know popular yeah. or the popular opinion. But he knows like this is a way to generate money. And his thinking isn't just always oh, just money. It's people got that stuck in their head like Gary Neville stuck in their head like oh this is just all about money no 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 this is about money for grassroots yeah like this is what affects 
the team that Gary Neville owns, like in Southwark City, like this, he sees the bigger picture, which I like. Yeah, he does. And and I think, you know, even if he does implement it, if it, I think lawmakers, uh, football lawmakers in, in England will make sure it goes into the right areas. Uh, it won't just be, and, and especially with the, with the, football schedule that's that's been coming up in the last few years with the the, the number of games clubs have got and with the Champions League a uh, new system coming up soon as well I think 2023 I think 2024 I can't exactly remember that that thing starting where clubs play 12 games in the group stage and the knockout nice, format it's it's, it's one of those MLS formats as well so uh it, it takes away from you know the 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 six game group stage and then on to the knockouts yeah, you go so straight weird. in the Europa League so yeah something something to look out for for and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of conversations about that once that kicks in and once that comes into effect in a few years uh, but Kamal I'm not going to hold you on for any longer but thank you very much for coming well, on thank you for giving me your time and, and having thank this you. conversation I'm sorry now. to keep you up it's like no. <laughs> almost 6 a.m. <laughs> absolutely not so bad when you told me the time it I was is, like oh god no it is I'm, I won't lie like summer uh, and especially the game Champions games if they kick off 10 11 p.m so i'm lucky this year that the champions league games are before the time change but when the time change happens you know 11 a.m 11 p.m is when the game's starting you're done by so you'll one be back home now so you'll be back in england so you'll be all right um yeah so so yeah when i'm in england then 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 it's then it's a bit better uh starting 8 p.m and okay. and being able to just wrap up a podcast by 10 p.m or 12 like you know by 11 i'm like whoa if i finish recording I'll finish I'm just <laughs> editing the podcast and then it's so much more easier. But no, thank you very much, Kamal, for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. Uh, man. anytime. Thank you, man. I'm looking forward to have you on again. Uh, for those of, yeah, for, for those of you watching, make sure to follow Kamal. You know, incredible tweets on, on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I can vouch for 90% of those with the last 10%. <laughs> you might, That's right. That's right. You might have to filter a few out, but no, sure. uh, uh, make sure to follow him on Twitter and, and make sure to follow uh, us on, on, on all of our social media pages. Make sure to subscribe, leave a like creating and, and, you know, comment below what you think of all the topics that we've discussed about a lot that we, that's been discussed. Thomas Tuchel, uh, Potter coming in, Todd Bowley and his leadership at Chelsea, as well as, you know, the bigger picture of football, uh, future of football in, in Europe and around the world. Uh, and then obviously the, the, the preview, not the preview, but the review of the today's game uh, against Salzburg. And yeah, there's not going to be a lot of football talk for Chelsea now since the international break is going to kick in in a few weeks and, and no game for Chelsea this weekend against Liverpool. We'll try and do an episode throughout the international break, talk, talk maybe a little bit about the World Cup that's coming up and the squads uh, that are going to be, uh, the, or the or the set-in players that will be in those squads. So watch out for that. But thank you very much for watching. Thank you for Kamal again. And we'll see you next time. Until then, stay safe. Thank you.